Kirika is undoubtedly a person whom, when you leave their company, you feel like you have learned something new, not just about that person, but about yourself. It's how I felt when I visited her home in Rangitukia. She opened her home to me, a stranger, and had some morning tea at the ready. Her dog had scampered somewhere under the house because it had been raining that morning. Hello, Mike. Welcome to as far east as you can go. Earlier this year, I visited the home of Kiri Ka. I got lost. My trusty map was actually the inside page of her book, Taka Kiro Wai. I ended up at the Tiki Tiki Arise, which is about five minutes from her house. But I made it. Her home is comfortable and cosy. During our interview, her cat sits comfortably on my lap. A sign, Kitty tells me, that he likes me. In her lounge, there are life-size portraits of her whanau. The conversation begins with Kitty talking about her whare. I was born here in Rangitukia, but I wasn't born in this house. This is a new house. I was born in the old homestead, which was just over there. And where this house stands used to be a tennis court. When we were little, grandfather rolled us a tennis court because we were always running away up the road with our tennis rackets and our cricket bats and things to play tennis at the Napier homestead just up the road. And we had nowhere to play, so in desperation to keep us home because the old people didn't like us wandering to other people's houses. So he built us a tennis court. And then the old homestead burned down. It was made of pitsorn tōtara. The planks of the walls were crooked because they didn't have proper equipment to measure things. So if you look down the side of the house, it was always on a little oh, red like tilt. A, oh, yeah. yeah. <coughs> and when that house burned down, we lost our tennis court because my father had another house made under the Māori Affairs planning in 1953, I think, we came into this house. It was a momentous occasion because it was my sister's 21st birthday and we had her party in the garden. And she didn't really want a 21st birthday because she was mindful of the fact that the old people had to pay for the party. So we only had a small party with a few people invited. And our mother, who was from Ngāti Kahungunu, from the Mahia Peninsula and a place called Nuhaka and Iwitea, she decided to put on a small lunch party in the garden. And the old lady next door, who was the very distinguished elder of the village, old Tarati, came to the party absolutely disgusted because we didn't have it at the marae in the proper surroundings and that we were having lunch outside and did we think this was a picnic or what and she, without permission she made speeches and generally ticked my father off and my mother 
who got very angry, demonstrated the mana of the women of her tribe by storming into the house and stamping out the door, carrying this this piece of greenstone shaped like a slender club. And she arrived and she stabbed the cake with it. That's right, because the old lady, old Tarati, looked at the birthday cake and said, Oh, you don't even have a key. They believed in having a key, yeah. the symbol to the outside world, and, and that there wasn't one, obviously, on or near the cake. So my mother went one better than everybody else and stormed out with her green stone. And I can still see that green stone because she rushed out and she stabbed the cake with it and I still remember as a child seeing it quiver in the sun. And I remember years later I asked my sister, who was also a writer and poet, I said, do you remember your birthday? She said, oh, and the green stone stabbing the cake. <laughs> She said, yes, do I what? And she's actually wearing the green stone in the photograph. Yeah, that's my sister, Arapera. So that green stone uh, mere was handed over to your sister as a, as a yeah, tonga? Yeah, as her tonga. And, and when she died, we passed it on to my brother because we discovered it had a name. It was called Te Arahi. Te Arahi. It was meant to go to one of my brothers whose name is Rutene Te Arahi. And he's very proud to wear it. I thought he wouldn't because lots of Māori men don't like wearing greenstone. They think it's show-offy stuff. But, you know, if you've got it and you've been given it for a reason, well, you should wear it. But I'm one of 12 children. We are the fulfilment of a prophecy. My mother's mother, see the little portrait up the top? Yes. That's my grandmother from Rongofakata in Manutuke. And she was married off to my grandfather who's next to her in, in the next portrait. They were children, really. They were 16. Was it Tomo? Yes, they were just ordered to get married. And she'd been to the mission school run by the Williams family in Manutuke. And her father was worried because she didn't seem qualified for anything. And his cousin, Tekoti, said to him, Well, if you think she's no good at anything, marry her off. And he said, Who would want to marry her? Because grandmother was apparently a tiny lady. So he was told, there's a young man at the gate from the Mahia Peninsula. What about him? And then and there they arranged the meeting. And Te Koti's prophecy was, you marry her and you will produce a family of 12. One of the 12 will marry out of the tribal region and will produce a second 12 whose voices will be heard throughout the nation. That's us. Because we all know, we all became really, most of us, people like Hone and we, Cookie and me and my sister, 
We became public figures, often yes. speaking for family rights and land rights, all kinds of issues. And someone said, said to us, why do you people always get up? And we said, we got no choice. It was prophesied before we were born. Um, and you hear stories like that throughout the motto, but people only keep them within their family because people think it's conceited, whakahihi, Aye. to go around telling everybody how clever you are, how good-looking you are, how madly intelligent you are, all that sort of rubbish, when in fact it's your birthright that you were loaded up with and you have to get out and do something with it. Kiri would go on to be a beacon in education, tikanga Māori, te reo Māori, publishing, and she would advocate for Māori filmmaking. In fact, last year she won the Woman in Film and Television, or WIFT, Mana Wahine Award at the Wairua Māori Film Festival. Over the years, she would also translate children's books into te reo Māori. I started when I was at school, because my father was working on little booklets to do with Bible teaching, te pai. And he would translate some things and he'd say, I, I used to go in and have a look at what he was doing. And then one day, to my shocked surprise, he said, noho mai. So I sat down and he said, here, translate that. So I sat and did some work with him. Thought I was very smart being invited to join him because the old people didn't often ask the young to come in and help. But I, that's where I started working with my dad, who was a meticulous writer and scholar of haka. And he had a brother, Canon Dan Carr, who was one of the people who worked on the translation of the Māori Bible from... Uncle Dan was a Hebrew scholar, and he translated the Bible into Māori directly from the Hebrew. He ate up academic work, he and my father. You know, you get some in the family who do, and he did Latin and Greek and was absolutely thrilled when I went to Queenvik and I got put into the Latin class, which I loathed. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely boring. We weren't very well taught in those days, you know, because we had old-fashioned teachers who had different things, who didn't really know how to pass a language on. And although we we got to Queen Vic bilingual, a lot of us, you know, suddenly we're confronted with this Publius going to school and writing on his slate. And one day, our real Māori teacher, John Waititi, the great scholar and creator of Te Rangatahi and stuff, said to me, I hear you're not doing very well in the Latin class. And I said, oh, te tino maroki. Because to me it was really boring. Then I discovered he was a Latin scholar. So do you remember anything from the Latin class all these years later? Or was it so maroki that it's kind of gotten... I got... I was asked to leave. Oh. Because I wrote a rude poem across my... I got hoha, I wrote a silly piece of doggerel. Latin is a language as dead as dead could be. It killed the ancient Romans, and now it's killing me. The Latin teacher said, 
Well, if that is how you feel, perhaps you ought to be somewhere else. I said, yeah, it wasn't really my thing. And I was good at languages, but that one, my father was absolutely appalled. To be skilled in Latin meant that your English had a good solid grounding because that was the the basic root. I thought, I don't care, it's still boring. <laughs> it's one of those overcast and drizzly mornings in Rangitukia, so from time to time our interview stops while I stoke the fire. And Kiri calls out for the dog that's disappeared that morning. What fell in the water. Fell in the water. In other places they say kirotoi. Yes. But we don't use that expression. We use a shortened form. So kairo fare. Kairo mama kairo fare. And people think that we don't know how to speak Māori properly. So I was making the point that different regions use the reo quite differently. And we don't think it's odd. We think that's just them. That's the way Tuhoi speaks. Or that's the way Taranaki speaks. So it's a mita. Yeah, it, and it's a style, a verbal style. How long did it take you to write Takakiro Wai? Um, oh, about Kiri. three days. About three days. Because it's an actual event. Yes, yes. There I was in my nighty outside on the footpath. Right where your car is parked was where I was standing. Because I'd seen this lump in the floodwaters and wondered what it was. And then I realised it was something moving because the ears were sticking up out of it. It was still sitting in its core. Yeah. And right at the crucial moment of my panic, my niece April arrived. And she came to wish me a happy birthday her daughter, her only daughter, was born on, on my birthday. So April found the first daffodil of the year and brought, picked it and, brought it and drove in the gates waving this yellow flower out. The thing. And, I, and instead of saying thank you very much and all that, I just pointed at the little horse or whatever it was I could see in the paddock and she took one look. And she was wearing gumboots, you know, those thigh-high waders that yep. duck shooters wear. Yeah. And then she saw the, the foal in the, in the floodwaters and hopped the fence, because she's quite a tall woman, and strode through the floodwaters to, to rescue the, the foal. And I went next door because I could see my cousin, Parikura, this man in this picture. He's a blue-eyed member of the family. I went to get him and said that there was trouble with the horse. He said, I'll be there shortly and rushed round in his truck. And he went, he just marched through the floodwaters and picked it up as though it was a little basket of apples or something and popped it on dry ground. And then came all the drama with the little pig who lived in the paddock with the, <laughs> the horses rushing round and climbing up the the back of the 
pony and doing miri miri and, and romi romi to try to work the call loose. The pig knew what to do. Don't ask me how or why, but the pig knew what to do. And you saw this all unfold in front of you, oh, obviously. Well, yeah. I was standing out. I stood out there in my nightie and dressing gown watching. And the other two, were, were they were actually nearby. And I thought they were doing nothing to help. And I yelled at them and said, why don't you do something? You know, you're just standing there. And that pig is doing all the work. And at first I thought the pig was trying to beat up the foal. Mm. And they said, no, you don't understand. He knows what to do. And it was the pig that saved and split the call eventually. It took ages. So this and is on page 41 the, in Takakiro the, way. The mother couldn't help because she was trying to expel the afterbirth. They called the airway. And she was... That's why she was standing in this peculiar position, trying to get it, get rid of it from her body. In between, the pig would do his thing, then he'd go and lie down, exhausted. Then the next ten minutes he'd be up, he'd pop back and keep working. It's like trying to peel a kurawai off. He got rid of it. And the, the mare finally got rid of the ewe, the afterbirth. I thought, now, I wonder what's going to happen now. Mm -hmm. And the, the black-backed gulls arrived. The black-backed gulls. There are seagulls which have black backs. And they are of significance here. And these, these chattering gulls arrived. And they cleaned up all the mess, and it looked as though nothing had happened in the paddock. So when you went, oh, look. I think that's my favourite of you just standing at the... Yeah, I was standing at the, at, the, at the fence and my pussycat was with me <laughs> yelling about breakfast. <laughs> and this is the same cat that's having a little nap next to me at no, the moment. that's a new cat. Oh, that, oh this is a new one. That old cat died. But I, I'm astonished at the reception the book has had. From all the, all the cousins around, the, everybody, every house in the valley's got a copy. And some houses have two copies. And one house has 11 copies because there's a heap of kids. They all wanted a book each, thank you. So their poor mother <laughs> was shelling out money left and right. And that formed a, a friendship because the designers, Pākehā, from the South Island, married to a Ngāti Pro girl who has Ngāti Pro and Cook Island whakapapa. And, and they reside in Rotorua. Yeah, but they actually, she's from Te Araroa. We had our difficulties negotiating what was to be done and who needed to do what and who was to be here and not there. And I was stunned at what he produced. And a lot of people who know about art, I don't draw, but I, I know what I appreciate. I've got a lovely collection in your whare, yes. And he's... He's done, he's done us proud. He kept the essential nature of the story. And lots of people beg us for copies of the map. Like a big version. They said, you, could you <laughs> do us a copy? So we're thinking about it. That's my niece, April. Yes. This is the one that, oh, there you go. So there's the yellow flower. There's the yellow flower that she bought for your, um, for your birthday. Do you have a favourite? 
page in the book in particular? I love the map. You love the map. Ida, the map was definitely handy. In fact, it was the idea of Martin Page to include it in the book, Taka Kirowai. Martin joins me now from Rotorua. Kia ora, Martin. Kia ora, Justine. Kia ora, Martin. If we could start, please, with you explaining uh, where you call home, where you were born, where you were raised. Sure. Um, well, I, um, I was born in Christchurch, but uh, I didn't really stick around there very long. When I, when I was young, we moved to live in Blenheim. Um, but I'm, you know, a South Island raised, and uh, and since then I've sort of been on a bit of a ticky tour. Really, I've moved around lots of different places, and uh, one of those being some time spent on the East Cape, which is where I was fortunate enough to run into Kōkiri. And so, what was your first impression of of um, of Kōkiri? <laughs> well, I was pretty excited to meet her because um, I, uh, you know, I was familiar with Wee Cookie Car as a as an actor, and he was one of my favourite actors. And um, sadly, he had passed away um, about six months before I got to meet Corker. So I was pretty excited to meet her, and um, and I, you know, I knew a little bit about her extended family, and um, and I had already been told about um, the story that she'd written. So I was I was excited to meet her, and. Uh, and she proved to be a very interesting person. <laughs> you found out about the story that she had written, and then how did that partnership begin with um, yourself, Tanya, and, and Kiri, and then you eventually doing the illustrations for the book? Um, originally, you know, when I heard the story, um, and it's, it's a very beautiful story, and I, you know, very, you know, I related really strongly to it. And um, in the time that I've been practicing design, I've come in contact with a lot of people who have really interesting ideas and um, and aspirations that I can relate to, but often they don't have the skills to take them and put them out into the world in a in a way that fulfills their potential. So when I when I met her, I and and you know she's a, a very um, engaging, very humorous, warm, loving woman and. Um, you know, I wanted to do what I could for this story, and uh, I, I sort of wanted to be able to honour it, really. Um, and I had no anticipation of doing the illustrations. I didn't consider myself an illustrator. Um, and I um, I thought, really, that perhaps, being that it was a Māori story um, and, and would require Māori-type um, imagery, that I didn't see myself as being qualified. Um, so that that's how it's sort of began, really. So you open the book. I've got the book in front of me. It's a mixture of, as you mentioned just before, photos and... Um, is this watercolours, Martin? Uh, yeah, it, it is essentially, I, I guess. Um, because the story, you know, starts with a, the mention of this big storm, it, it seemed sensible to me to be working in watercolours because I wanted to mm. have that, you know, that, that impression of it having rained and... Um, those opening end papers, for example, with the, the splattery splotches, you know, that are, does, you know, for me, I was bringing in some of the formalities of book design, but I was trying to relate it to that, you know, small rural East Coast township, um, you know, sort of a marriage of those two different ideas. What are some of your favourite parts of the book? Everyone loves the map. That's how I found Kitty's whare when I visited her in Rangitukia. Yeah, yeah, it serves a practical purpose. Um, and, and the locals love the map too. Yes. Um, I think being able to to represent them and, and to make them feel that it's 
speaks of them. You know, that's one of the things that's really satisfying for me. You um, are a finalist. Takakiro is a finalist at the Best um, Design Awards, Martin. Yeah, we, are. we are, and we're, you know, delighted, very honoured. Yes, and that takes place the 10th of um, October. Yes. Um, and you're one of 11 finalists in the Nga Aho um, category. <laughs> not too bad for someone who's not really, who wasn't, who didn't come into this as the illustrator. That's right. No, it's not too bad. And um, it's quite, you know, impressive company that we're amongst there. Um, and it, it's a very interesting award, actually, the Nga Aho Award, because um, it's not strictly just because um, the book is nicely designed, but it's actually uh, what they're celebrating really is cross-cultural um, relationships. Um, and it's also um, design that has a reflection of what they call Aotearoa. So it's talking about where we are in the world. Will you continue uh, publishing or...? Yes, well, the book itself is um, is currently being taken uh, to Germany to the Frankfurt Book Fair, and so um, we're hoping that uh, opportunities that come from that will introduce us to you know publishing books further afield overseas, and um, and we're working with um, Auntie Kitty to uh, produce an English version of this book, um, so I think that's probably going to keep me fairly busy for the, the next period. Then I Kitty Carr and Martin D. Page. Once again, the Best Design Awards that Martin talked about will be held on Friday the 10th of October at the Viaduct Event Centre in Auckland.